This Future Construct podcast episode is supported by Applied Software. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and championing innovation with real world expert consultants. So visit asti.com, it's A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Future Construct podcast. I'm Amy Peck, your host. And our guest today is Joe Michaels, who is the Chief Revenue Officer at Haptex. Hi, Joe. Welcome. Thank you, Amy. Hi. Good to be here. So I have had the pleasure of actually demoing Haptex, uh, but can you share with us what the product is and how it works and what, in fact, Haptics, which is is what this is named after, uh, actually is? Sure. The field of haptics is a fascinating one. It's the recreation of the sense of touch where it doesn't actually exist. So most people think of haptics these days as uh, the feedback they get from their phone screen when they're tapping the keyboard and typing a text or an email message and, um, and you get little buzzing on your fingers to kind of signify that you came in contact with the right place. And um, the cool thing about haptics, the field, is it's been around uh, since the late 1800s. Uh, people have been fascinated with recreating this sense of touch for a long time. And now uh, the company I work for, Haptex, has been working on the most advanced form of touch feedback for VR and for robotics for the last eight years. And um, we've got some really exciting products that we've announced and, uh, and some really good customer momentum. So it's, uh, it's a very cool, cool field to be in. So, so you actually had a recent announcement about sort of your next generation glove. So it's a glove, right? That's right. Our original vision was a full body system that could simulate the feeling of just about anything. Um, we decided, I think wisely, uh, to focus on the hardest part, which is the most practical part, which is haptic gloves to give you a sense of touch feedback in a virtual environment. And uh, it took us several years to create it. And in January of this year, we announced the Haptex Gloves DK2, our first commercial product that our customers can own and wear to get realistic touch in their VR uh, or robotic environments. So when you think about, you know, the sort of sensory replication, you know, I think our, our first order of business was, was visual, right? So when we went into either augmented or virtual reality, it's like, what are we seeing? And then there's, you know, the, then there was sort of audio. We were thinking, okay, what about audio? And then finally, we kind of went to have, was that just because it's such an incredibly difficult part of the sort of technology stack and the, and the sensory stack? Yes, that's exactly right. It is incredibly difficult. Uh, your skin and your nerves are extremely good at detecting BS when it comes to touch. We touch the world around us you know, all day, every day, and we know exactly what it feels like. So to trick it is difficult. And also it's starting you know, later. I mean, you've had people working in the audiovisual field for, you know, for a long time. And uh, I think haptics is really catching up. 
but um, but you know you combine how difficult it is with with the you know the the, the slowness of the industry and and you know we we've, we've got some work to do. But the good thing is you know we're starting to figure it out, um, especially with the bringing together of technologies like game engines and the physics engines and you know and, and the the excellence of the audiovisual feedback. Um, you know you're able to add touch feedback now in a way that's realistic, not quite one to one with reality, but realistic enough to be very useful to enterprise. And then do you, is, is sort of the visual and the, the audio component um, of the haptic gloves, is that part of the kind of, I hate to use tricking of the senses because I think it's actually more than that. Um, and it, it somehow sort of belittles it, but you know, it, does that help the experience? So if, if what you're seeing and then what you're feeling are sort of you know, all right, now it's like then your brain relaxes and says, okay, this is actually really happening. And I, and I actually feel this the way I'm, I'm intended to. Absolutely. Uh, they work together uh, to, to, let's, you know, be clear, to, to trick the brain into thinking something that isn't there really is. And um, when, when you do visuals without touch, it gets you to a, a certain level of immersion and presence and, and belief. And when you add 3D audio, it extends that. And, um, and, you know, when, when you do touch without the, the visuals, that, that also takes away. So they really, it's like three legs of a stool. People also talk about smell and, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But honestly, when you've got visuals and audio and touch working together, you can drive, you know, the vast majority of the immersion that someone needs to really have a productive use of VR. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the importance of scent, but the whole sort of smellorama thing is just, I don't, I'm not there yet. <laughs> no, most people aren't. Most, and, and I hope they do well as, you know, they're, they're even further behind. So, uh, and yeah. it's a tougher job because you've got to recreate a lot of smells. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. So, so you know, what are some of the practical use cases? So, you know, we, uh, you know on, on the program, we, we've talked about, you know, how you can leverage, you know, AR and VR, uh, but where are you seeing, let's start with sort of the AEC industry, but then look kind of more broadly across enterprise. You know, what, what are some of the top use cases that, that your customers are, are using, using, you know, haptics for? Yeah, um, when I think about the general trends in the AEC industry, as it relates to virtual design, you know, I'm, I'm seeing things like the rise of standalone headsets. I'm seeing centralized kind of cloud-based data. Um, you look at um, how the Wild and Iris VR, you know, two companies kind of came together recently, I think as a, an indication that AEC and design are kind of getting more virtual, getting more collaborative. And, um, you know, generally speaking, you're, you're seeing companies test their options, um, at, you know, at various degrees of scale earlier in the process. And what I'm excited about when it comes to Haptex is making that kind of um, interaction with your designs more tactile. That's a big part of it. It's certainly not everything, but it's a big part of the effectiveness of design um, in, in the virtual space. When you think about how not everyone can read drawings, you know, and, and just about anyone can appreciate like a 3D model, can appreciate the, the visuals out in space. But when you can touch it, and move it and interact with it, um, you can appreciate it and understand it better. It, it just becomes more tangible and more real. And so I, I think of um, VR with haptics. 
um, not just haptics, but haptics in general as, as sort of the ultimate kind of discovery, design and discovery tool so that you better understand what you want to create and what your clients really want to get out of the space. So it's very exciting, you know, to think about wearing haptics gloves and, you know, you're, you could be in design mode and, and letting your creativity flow. And, um, you know, we could talk about some of the really specific things that you can do, but, um, but generally using it as a tool for design. And then, you know, when you get into the presentation mode where you want to bring in other stakeholders and get them excited about what you've created, you know, letting them touch and feel it um, and understand it at a tactile level is, is, uh, is really exciting and important. So, you know, um, that's, that, that's how we're working uh, in the design space right now, largely with automakers. Um, today, and some aerospace companies, and we're we're in discussions with AEC companies as well, who uh, who want to do the kinds of things I just described. Yeah, I think it makes sense um, for automotive. But do do you see some uptake, kind of on the user journey and ergonomics reviews and things like that? Because that's where I can see, you know, real value. Like, how does it feel to sit? you know, in this vehicle, you know, I mean, what does it feel like when I'm, you know, when I'm trying to you know, use the controls, is that, is that where you're seeing it where it's, it's sort of around user experience or is it just enhancing the design experience itself? Yeah, it is amazing to me how old fashioned a lot of the design technologies are in all fields. Um, automotive is no exception. I mean, if you've ever seen an automotive designer work, they're making the, you know, that sort of dreaming up the exterior of the car by carving wet clay. They're envisioning what the interior should look like and feel like on a blank, they call it a buck. And, you know, it could be an ergonomic buck or it could be a design buck. It's just a blank slate and you've got to try to mentally picture and remember what feature goes where. Um, it's just, it's calling out. All of this is calling out for virtual reality because it's so adaptable, so general purpose, um, so powerful. Um, and, uh, and, you know, when you make a mistake, you just hit the reset button. Um, and, um, and also when you bring the tack, you know, the haptics into it, it gets as, as, as tactile as you want it to be. Um, so, so and the automotive side, yes, you know, doing reach studies and ergonomic studies and just kind of understanding how these designs work trying them from the early stages so you can avoid a lot of the physical prototyping. That's what we're seeing on the automotive side. And, um, you know, then when you think about AEC, I mean, some of the same kinds of principles apply. So when you're doing CAD design, um, you know, in 3D and you, 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 you're bringing it into VR so you get the spatial sense, um, you can get sort of spatial understanding and insight. Um, you know, it's exciting to be able to use your hands naturally. You know, I sometimes joke that, you know, a mouse is great and a keyboard's great, but the best input device ever invented by God was your hands. I mean, you, we all know how to use your hands, you know, our hands naturally and intuitively. So using that in the process of creativity unlocks a lot of, of, of natural goodness. And, and then, you know, there are some really cool ideas that we've come up with, with um, architecture firms to, to, to try to take it to the next level. This episode of the Future Construct podcast is supported by the amazing team at Applied Software. They have solutions for any modern project. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and being the champions of innovation with their real world expert consultants. 
They have a comprehensive suite of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing with a singular focus to help you achieve higher performance. So software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered for all of your workflow needs. BIM Designs is proud to be a client and partner of Applied Software. So visit their website at asti.com, that's A-S-T-I.com. And don't forget to tell them that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. And it's interesting too, because I, you know, I am in VR a lot and I'm in, uh, you know, I have a, a couple headsets and, you know, one of the headsets that I use, you know, of course has hand tracking, but I find I actually like to use the controllers because of the, the haptics and the feedback that I get with the controllers, because I'm not getting, you know, they don't have the gloves yet. I'm sure you're talking to them and you're going to solve that problem for us. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really, it's, it really makes a big difference to the experience where I'm almost happier having a device in my hand that gives me feedback than I am using my hands with no feedback. So it is interesting how important it is, but it's so subtle. And again, when, you know, when we were thinking about sort of building out experiences for this technology, haptics just didn't, wasn't that sort of, it was really the visuals that were the top priority. Yeah. I mean, it, I think what you want to avoid is an uncanny valley effect. It's so disturbing when you're watching a, a movie or a film or, or just seeing images and it's close to reality, but it's not close enough to make you comfortable. And, um, you know, I think the same is true when it comes to, to, to your hands in VR. It's generally the first thing people do after they look around and they're all, you know, um, thrilled with, with, with being in a new 3D environment. The first thing people do typically is look down. Do I have hands? Can I use them? How do they work? Um, that's, that's how fundamental touch is. And um, you're right, when you have hand tracking and all you can do is kind of wave at people and point at them, you know, it, um, it, it takes you a little bit of the way, but, but it's, it's almost weird. You want feedback. Um, and the more realistic the feedback is, the better, more effective you can be in your application, no matter what it is. And, and although, you know, this is this, I, I, there's a caveat to this question is that, you know, nobody knows, but how far out are we really where, you know, we can put on a pair of gloves that just look like a pair of gloves. Like we know that the glasses that look like these are coming. Um, you know, so how, you know, do you think one's sort of driving the other and, and do you feel like it's a decade out? Do you feel it's five years, you know, like where, where are you sort of projecting real uptake? And, and I think it requires a certain amount of consumer uptake, right? Before it really starts to become part of our workflow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's a lot closer than you might think. Um, when, you know, Jake Rubin, who founded Haptex, got started, you know, the, the, the thrill of it for him was that it seemed to the world like a 20-year problem to create a realistic sense of, of touch feedback. Um, you listen to John Carmack and, and others, you know, who speak about the industry, and they still think it's so far out, it's, you know, it's not even worth paying attention to. But, you know, what, what Jake Rubin at Haptex um, just you know, set as his goal was to try to shrink that um, and make it a five-year problem, not a 20-year problem to, to solve. And that was, you know, five to 10 years ago. And so we're, got, we're now at the point where we, we've gotten you not one-to-one -one with reality, but close enough to, to really make you believe that you're coming in contact with, with, uh, with objects. We call it true contact haptics. Um, but to your question, um, it's, it's only a generation or two 
from really creating a form factor where you know you, you can slip it on because today it looks a little bit like a prototype but you slip it on um and it's it's like wearing any any you know smooth simple wearable and it delivers you know such a premium level of feedback that um that that you forget it's on and you're so immersed in the the 3d environment you don't care anyway and, um, and, and it takes you exactly where you need it to go. You know, we sometimes joke, you know, we, we want to stay alive till 25 um, because, you know, that, that's, we think, as you said, it's about acceptance. And even if you have a, you know, demonstration of it, it takes a while to, to become more mainstream. And I do think by 2025, you know, at least at the enterprise level, this will be a tool. VR with haptics will be a tool that enterprises will use regularly. We may even see a virtual first approach, you know, the same way we've had sort of a mobile first approach in the past, a virtual first approach could very well be, be coming by then. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I think I tried uh, your sort of original version uh, at least a couple of years ago now. Um, and this new form factors is, is much lighter. And I, you know, there were these great kind of, you know, space age gloves. I kind of love them, but I still remember the most compelling part of that demo, you know, was you have this, this little uh, deer, right. That, that walks on your hands and it's tiny and it has these spindly little legs. And I could literally, I was holding my hand out and then I could see it because I had the glasses on the goggles on and I could not believe that it, it was almost like these little tiny pins that I could, you know, that needle size, but it was exactly right. And, and it was so compelling and I, you know, I'll never forget. It. And that's three years ago. And so I know the new version is stronger than that. So, you know, I, I, I think you're right. I think now, you know, once you get to that level of fidelity, then it's just a matter of form factor, right. Making it, making it truly wearable, but the technology is, is, is there. And that, that I think is what's, what's really exciting. And so, you know, let's talk about, I mean, training to me seems like it's an absolute that one of the challenges that I, I think a lot of um, big enterprises have had, especially those that are doing machining or manufacturing and are trying to train on these machines is that you have to have force feedback, right? It's like, if you're turning a wrench on something and you're just doing it and you're not getting the right feedback, it, it's, it's sort of meaningless. Um, and so what, what sort of advancements have you seen there? And then how are your customers sort of leveraging, again, this sort of, you know, this, this sense of, of uh, haptics? Yeah. So the reason that customers and companies and industries, you know, for, for generations have trained on the real equipment is to, to create a sense of, of realism, uh, you know, you, that kind of on the job training where you're, you're using the real equipment and you're, you're feeling the same forces you need to feel to really learn how to do something. And, um, and they're trying to avoid negative training. I don't, not sure if you've heard that, you know, I'm sure you have being in the industry, but you know, that, that's something that I'm hearing more and more as I talk to customers is that if you train someone the wrong way, they kind of have to unlearn it later. And that's a little dangerous. Do, right? yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, and, and that's, I mean, one of the great things about a controller in VR, like you said, is it's, it's so nice to have feedback. But if you're operating your hands using pew, pew, pew triggers and buttons and that kind of thing, like it's um, later, you're going to have to relearn how to use your hands to do these things. So that's what, you know, is, is so important when it comes to training is giving someone um, an accurate and realistic uh, sense of how to do something 
and then letting them practice over and over again, that accuracy. So they're building muscle memory. It's all about muscle memory. You know, when, when you're in a safety situation in an emergency and, you know, you've done your training, you want your hands to fly to the right spot and behave exactly the right way. And if you avoid negative training by using realism in your training, like using Haptex or, or other similar devices, you, um, you achieve that. And so training people in the construction field, anyone who's operating a vehicle or equipment or tools, I mean, that's, that's a really powerful thing because it's safer and it's more effective over the long run to, to use this virtual training uh, system. So, so 2025, we all have our gloves. So by then, I'm sure you're going to have the, the big bag prototype then for the full body suit. So we've all seen the haptic suit from Ready Player One. You know, is, is there a demand for that today or is that, you know, a solution looking for a problem or an audience? I would say it's a little bit early, um, the full body suit. It's, um, it's more than enterprises need uh, right now. Um, and uh, that's because, you know, it, it's the most important part of your body that you need to trick from a haptics perspective is your hands. And um, the way we're thinking about it is we're going to get very good at tactile feedback and force feedback on the hands. Then we want to expand to the upper body because you spoke before about the need as you're training to maybe turn a wrench or something like that, pull, pull, you know, down on a, on a, on a control for a valve or something. And when you do that, you know, you're, you need to exert gross forces on your, the muscles and the skeleton of your upper body. And so that's something that we're, we're excited about looking at. And we were recently funded by the National Science Foundation to look at a full body system they call ForceBot. So they're funding us to, to work with some universities to, to attack that. And in that time frame, it's a four or five year project. I do think the full body suit will become more valuable. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we we think about the resolution of the skin and, um, you know, kind of how sensitive the nerves are in each spot on your body. And they're most sensitive, of course, in your fingertips. And they're so not sensitive, uh, on, you know, your back or your legs that it, it becomes a whole lot easier to expand the system you develop for the hands to the rest of the body when customers say, okay, we're ready for that. Yeah. Well, you've done the, you've done the, the heavy lifting with the hands already. Um, so just promise me that you'll, you know, you'll speak to some nice designers, like, you know, we'll get, we'll get a Lululemon, you know, haptic bodysuit. <laughs> oh my goodness. They <laughs> would don't be look like a near space the top man. of the list. Yeah. I know. I know. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be first in line for that. <laughs> yeah. You could totally be the model for the suit. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll definitely so, want so, you up front. You know, what, what, just in general, I mean, even haptics aside, you know, looking at this landscape of technology that's kind of, you know, barreling towards us, you know, what are some of the, the, the more compelling trends that you see for enterprises and how enterprises are, are really kind of creatively now using the tech? Because I think a lot of companies now are, are sort of just moving out of that experimentation phase. They're not quite deployed yet, but they're, they're coming up with some very sophisticated use cases and ways to leverage this multitude of technologies. What are some of the things that you've seen that have been really impressive to you? Yeah, I was very inspired when I spoke to some architecture firms uh, to get to AEC for a minute, um, who said, you know, we use court cardboard boxes and balsa wood and foam, you know, to sort of um, create a, a model of what we're envisioning. And you know what, what they talked to us about was creating like a digital sandbox, um, you know, to 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 let uh, their designers, you know, 
use their hands to to mold and shape what a what a large scale you know project might look like and then to let their customers try it and that that to me was you know very very cool um you know early step um you know but when i think more broadly uh, about it there's multi-user collaboration that's a big area of emphasis for us and we're just so excited about this so what i mean by that is in vr today you're usually alone when you have other people around you typically all you can do is see one another um, what we've been working really hard on is multi-user haptics. So when you're collaborating on the same designs, the same, when you're training one another, um, you need to be able to touch the same objects at the same time. And that's a hard software problem to solve. So we've got the physics and the haptics working in this in a singular environment with multiple users. We've got that going and working well. And our customers are going crazy for it. Um, and it's really helping me because, you know, I, our customers say now I need to buy more than one of these sets of gloves. Um, but um, but so, so, so how you get collaborators from around the world to, you know, to sort of come in at the same time and all try the same designs and feel good about them. I think that's a really exciting um, thing that, that, that customers are doing. And then getting away from design for a minute, I would say one other Uber trend that I'm really excited about is robotics. That's something I did not expect. Uh, a year and a half, two years ago, we started dreaming up, you know, could we use our product to control really not objects in VR, but objects at the other end of a robot that might be located somewhere in the distance. So if you could feel what the robot hand is feeling, what would you do with that? And fast forward, you know, we've done some collaborations with, uh, you know, Shadow Robot Company and Tangible Research, and, and we've developed this tactile telerobot that um, Jeff Bezos tried, and there was a really funny image of him trying it and giving a, a, a thumbs up. And, um, and now we've got all these companies dreaming up how they would use haptics to control robots, um, you know, sometimes all the way across the world. And there's military and healthcare and maintenance and repair um, scenarios and even just human kind of human to avatar communication uh, kind of robotic scenarios that uh, it's a little mind blowing every time we, we talk about it. So those are the kinds of things that really uh, get my juices flowing. I love that. So we, so we can do a, a virtual high five because we, you know, we do that. I do. I, I, and I tell you that, that the collaboration in, in virtual environments, I think people can't imagine what it's like. like if you've never been in a headset, how real it is, but we started doing at the tail end of, of, of you know, with one of our clients uh, doing our meetings once a week in, in their, their virtual environment. And, and it was really, really effective, um, not only just from a workflow standpoint, um, but it was so engaging that we actually started doing Friday happy hours with all of us kind of coming in and then we'd bring much more kind of lightweight, we'd bring in 2D and 3D objects and we'd sort of play games and we'd have fun. But it was funny, we'd all do high fives and then you just kind of go whoop and it's like wah, wah, wah. Like you just kind of like, and I actually like can't high five. It's like a weird thing. People have tried to teach me how to do it, but I always miss anyway. So it's even worse in, in virtual environments. So I'm very glad that you're solving that problem. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing how 
simple it sounds and how hard it is to do but once you once you add it you never want to be without it again um you you that's something we're definitely missing in this in this time you know that we're in right now is is being in the same room with other people and so to have telepresence and to have you know kind of a sense of touch in that is is just a really really exciting thing to, to offer and um and and so they're practical and just kind of more human you know and emotional um benefits to it yeah and i think you know this this whole idea of of remote work and being effective but you know also just you know having your teams feel connected is a challenge in any environment and you know multinational companies have offices all over the world uh, you know, and, and to be able to be in the same environment, to see someone, to engage with them, uh, to work together, you know, I think it's really, uh, it's, you know, it's a new day. I think it's going to really open up the way that we think about communication and we think about work and we think about collaboration. And, and you know, I'm, I'm very glad that Haptics is kind of bringing that next level of, of sort of communication um, and connection uh, into the realm. So, I'm going to wrap up with a question that I ask everyone, which is if you could project yourself, you know, 20, 25 years into the future and you could create, you know, any gadget to bring with you that would make you happy or make your life easier, what would it be and what would it do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing that I dream about is it probably um, is right on the line between sort of, you know, um, utopia, utopic, utopic, I think might be the right word, and dystopic. Utopic. It's it's hard to know whether to love this idea or or be terrified by it. But um, but I think it will be possible to create um, a a machine that is effectively stationary um, that lets you um, simulate any kind of activity. Um, if you attach, you know, the exoskeleton to your body in the right way, if you support the body weight in the right way, if you cover enough of the body with, you know, a, a, the right materials, and someday, maybe 25 years from now, you can also jack directly into the brain, you know, we expect. Um, and you won't need to go anywhere. And that's the dystopic part. You might just, you know, wither away, uh, you know, um, but, but you, you can experience really anything that you've dreamt of. And there's very practical stuff. Like people are now talking about kind of virtual tourism and, you know, wouldn't you love to go swimming, you know, in a place that you'll never be able to get to without leaving your, you know, your house, um, or fishing or, you know, walking through space or something like that. And that kind of bleeds into, well, what about the things we can only dream about that aren't that aren't practical? Um, it's not climbing Mount Everest. It's wrestling with a dragon. It's you know it's 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 um, literally flying you know doing Google Earth, but you know but uh, but but as if you're you're a bird. I mean, crazy. Cra and and then you start bleeding into well, would you go back and forward in time? and interact with, um, you know, members of your family, maybe you, you, who, who passed away or historical figures. And so, you know, when you can really simulate anything, um, you know, we, we sometimes joke in our company that, you know, at that point, you'll be so tethered, you're untethered. In other yeah. words, you, you're not moving, you know, almost at all. But if the technology is right, you feel more free than you've ever been. And, you know, that to me is a really, really exciting vision that we, we've all got to work 
towards. That's very exciting. I like the I like the idea of, of kind of being able to move forward and, and backward in time. And I think, you know, we're going to hit a, a point in time in, in the next couple of generations where we will actually have a full volume of sort of 3D history of ourselves in this sort of virtual realm that can live on forever. So um, yeah, it's very, very exciting. A lot of f- philosophical concepts to unpack there. Um, but Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as always. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for uh, you know letting us have this platform to talk to you and your audience. And um, we'll be back anytime you need us. That sounds great. Thanks so much. This Future Construct podcast episode is supported by Applied Software. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and championing innovation with real world expert consultants. So visit asti.com, it's A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Welcome everyone to the Future Construct podcast. I'm your host, Amy Peck. Today, I'm very excited. We have Tessa Lau, PhD, and CEO and co-founder of Dusty Robotics. Welcome, Tessa. Thank you, Amy. Happy to be here. So I, I, I love this product, so let's dive right in. So can you just talk a little bit about uh, your background and, and the beginnings of uh, Dusty Robotics? Sure. So I've been in robotics for about nine years now. Uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur, and Dusty Robotics is my second robotics startup. Uh, my first robotics startup is a company called Savvy Oak. I was the CTO and co-founder there, and Savvy Oak built robots for the hospitality industry. So you can imagine an R2-D2 that would drive around in a hotel by itself, and it would deliver room service to guests staying in the hotels. So uh, while I was there, we built about 75 of those robots, got them into hotels all around the world, and, uh, and learned a lot about what it takes to build and scale a robotics business, and particularly how to create robots that actually do useful work for people out in the world. And so uh, three years ago, I decided to branch out on my own uh, and created this company called Dusty, that would be called Dusty. And um, as I was doing that, I, I had my background in robotics and I knew I wanted to do something impactful and something that could change the world. And at the time I was remodeling my house. And so I saw all of these people coming to my front door every single day with power tools on their hands and knees doing work. And I realized that construction is this industry that is so heavily dominated by by skilled labor that there's gotta be some opportunity for robotics in there. And so, uh, so that's how Dusty was born. I decided to go into the construction industry and the rest is history. That's very exciting. And so you've actually raised uh, a fair amount of capital to date. So you've had a couple of funding rounds. Mm-hmm. It was, was it 2 million and 5 million? Am I getting that right? And so that's brought so, you to today, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, who, who are your ideal customers? So, uh, so the product that we're building, you can actually see it behind me. Uh, it's, a, it's a robotic layout printer that we're calling a field printer. And uh, what the field printer does is it takes BIM models. So everyone is using BIM now on their projects, right? The construction is going digital. And these BIM models, their utility kind of ends in, the, in, in design. 
They, they get designed out and modeled out full detail, and then you hand it off to the field. And when you hand it off to the field, if you're lucky, you're using plan grid and a tablet. If you're not lucky, you've got big sheets of paper. And all of the building from then on out is all, it's all manual and it's all analog. And so what Dusty is doing is we're bridging that gap between BIM and the field. And we're taking those 3D models and we're bringing them out entirely accurately and a lot faster onto the job site so that the building work, the constructing actually happens off of digital data. And so the customers who are excited about this right now, uh, we are working with both the GCs and subcontractors who need to lay out their projects. Pretty, layout happens on every single phase of the project. Everything that gets installed in the building has to be laid out first. And so anyone who does any kind of interior work on a building has the need for layout. And so we're getting approached by um, you know, our, our biggest uh, category of, of, of customers right now is self-performed GCs. So general contractors who uh, self-perform some of the scopes of work, typically the drywall scope is where we start, um, as well as we're working with several of the leading drywall contractors across the US to, um, to do production work on their job. And so, you know, how challenging has it been to, you know, we hear stories about it's just, it's, it's difficult to bring, you know, next generation technology, you know, onto building sites. Um, but it sounds like you're, you're not having that same challenge. So what do you attribute it to? Is it just the value proposition is so high and, and you're able to tell the story so well that, you know, your GCs are just like, sign me up. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's really what happens. So, uh, you know, we heard coming into this industry that construction is afraid of technology and people like to do things the same way they've always been doing it. And, you know, they're slow to adopt, but that hasn't been the case for us at all. And I think it's because of the unique value proposition that we bring, as well as the fact that we've made our product slot directly seamlessly into the existing layout workflow. So, you know, the value prop that we bring, uh, everyone knows that mistakes get made during layout. It's, it's a manual process, it's fraught with human error and the mistakes that get made during that process can cost significant amounts of money. Um, in fact, I just got off the phone earlier today with the president of a drywall company who said that on one of their previous projects, they had a six figure error um, that caused them to do that much rework. It was not their fault, um, but they ended up footing the bill. They had to uh, patch over a bunch of, of, of uh, junction boxes that got put in the wrong place. And that was a layout mistake. And so um, layout mistakes cause significant harm or you know, cost to the industry. And if you can, once you have that coordinated BIM model, it's a natural thought to think, well, let's just take that coordinated BIM model, which everyone agrees on and is the truth. And let's bring that out digitally into the field. And so that value prop that we're bringing just resonates with so many people in an industry because everyone has a story in their past about how a layout mistake costs them money. And yeah. so we're eliminating those mistakes. Yeah, and then, so where do you see, you know, there's robotics, then you've got, you know, AR, VR, you've got AI, and you've got all these emerging technologies. A lot of them are more kind of software-based, you know, and then a, you know, AR requires some hardware. Do you see now sort of a convergence of some of these technologies, you know, with, with what you're doing? I mean, I can certainly see with what you're doing, then that becomes kind of the, the digital overlay. And you can essentially then using a wearable give everybody, you know, with that uh, layout superpowers to see through walls. Yeah. So are you sort of looking at that and are you seeing anyone deploying in that way? Mm -hmm. Yes. 
so it's really all about bridging the gap between the digital world and the analog world and, and the field, right? Been in the field. That's where we play. That's where a lot of other interest is coming from. Um, in fact, there's a lot of interest in closing the loop and taking the information from the field and bringing it back into the digital world. And, and we're part of that as well. So, um, you know, I think the AR and the VR solutions are really about taking the, the BIM model that people are investing a lot of time and effort into and bring that out into field so it can be viewed, right? Through maybe the HoloLens technology or through, I've seen some, some tablet-based interfaces that let you hold them up and get a window into the 3D realm while you're out in the field. And all of that is just a way to take that information and get it out where people can see it and where it actually is meaningful, uh, where it helps with the constructability and where it helps reducing the conflict and the, re and the mistakes and the rework. And so, and so Dusty actually is just another technology that brings the BIM out into the field, except that we're doing it through relatively low-tech printer technology. I mean, it's not actually low-tech. Our, our robot is actually very high-tech, but the output of our robot is basically just, you know, printed marks on the floor. And it's not, it's not like a, a headset or, or VR goggles or anything like that. But the nice thing about Dusty Layout is that you get a lot of these effects of the AR VR technology, but without needing the investment in the infrastructure, right? We come, we lay out, and we leave marks on the floor. And those marks stay and they're visible by everyone who's walking the site. And it makes, it democratizes those BIM, that BIM information so that everyone on site can see it, not just the privileged few who are lucky enough to be wearing the equipment. This episode of the Future Construct podcast is supported by the amazing team at Applied Software. They have solutions for any modern project. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and being the champions of innovation with their real world expert consultants. They have a comprehensive suite of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing with a singular focus to help you achieve higher performance. So with software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered for all of your workflow needs. BIM Designs is proud to be a client and partner of Applied Software, so visit their website at asti.com, that's A-S-T-I.com. And don't forget to tell them that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. You said something that I think is really critical, so I'd love to get a little more of your um, you know, kind of take on it. And it's that it fits right into to their workflow. Mm -hmm. And to me, that seems like the key to bringing in any of this new technology. And it sort of takes away that reticence to, to sort of try something new. And, and so, you know, how did you sort of research it? I mean, did you have experience in that realm or was it really just, you know, looking around your house saying, look, there's, there's gotta be something better than how this is being done right now. So that's how it started, right? You know, there's always like the motivation for, for how things start. And so, um, after I realized that construction was a was an interesting industry, uh, I started. I, I bought a hard hat and I bought some steel-toed boots. You know, I, I I didn't know anyone in the construction industry when I started. I have no experience with it. Um, you know, none of my family members are into construction, and so I started calling up and, and networking with every construction professional I could. I walked as many job sites as I could. I got lucky enough to be introduced to several project execs and project managers who are now on our advisory board. And they all taught me as much as they could about the industry. And I was just like a sponge soaking it all up. And, um, and, and what I did, my co-founder and I, we, we proposed a, a sequence of robotic ideas. So we started you know, with, with some crazy idea that would never fly and you know, iterated on that and came up with a different idea. So every time 
we would talk to someone new, they would have a different idea for a robot that they wanted us to build. So we collect all these ideas and we, you know, throw out the ones that didn't make any sense and, you know, double down a little bit into the ones that actually did make sense. And we ended up with this idea of building a Roomba for construction, like a, a robotic vacuum thing. And we ended up on that idea because on every single job site, there's always someone pushing a broom around. There's always stuff on the floor, dirt, dust, debris. And, and we heard that, you know, clean job sites are safe job sites and they're, they're productive job sites and more efficient. And so, you know, it seemed like a very widespread problem. So I said, okay, you know, that's the best idea we've come up with so far. We'll, we'll build a cleaning robot. And so we, we need to understand what a cleaning robot would do. So we picked up some brooms and went onto a job site and started sweeping and pushing the dirt around and seeing, you know, how big is it? How much does it weigh? What's the volume? What is the composition? Where does it go? And as we were doing that, we looked on the ground and we saw all these marks. And uh, then we looked over to the other side and we saw people with physical paper plans and measuring tape and we discovered layout. And um, then we started asking our board of advisors, okay, what if we built a robot to automate layout? Because you know that would be something that we could do. And, and their eyes lit up and they started getting really excited. And, um, and we realized that we were onto something. And so that's how we came up with this idea. That's a great story. And it's interesting, there's, there's some real similarities between actually the founder of, of BIM Designs, the sponsor of our, our, our podcast, uh, and, and the, Mark Oden, the founder found, you know, was just building his house and thought, you know, there's gotta be a better way to do this. <laughs> so I think that's where some of the best, you know, the best ideas are, are born. So I'd love to kind of just, you know, look, look at the landscape now, I mean, now, now you have much more experience within the industry. Do you see some other areas either that maybe you plan to go into or some other ways that, you know, just sort of trends in the, for the future that, that you see, you know, where this type of technology can be, continue to be valuable? Yeah. So one of the things we're really excited about now is pushing the boundaries of layout. If you think about layout and how it's done on a job site today, and you look at what gets laid out, it's really the bare minimum. Um, so for example, the drywall, uh, the drywall scope, the carpenters will actually lay out. In some cases, they only lay out, uh, if, if they're framing out a, a wall, um, there's, there's two sides of that wall, they'll frame out, they'll snap a line from one side of the wall and then mark an X to indicate on which side of that line should the, the bottom track go. And that's just the minimum amount of layout. And that's because layout, it's, it's, uh, it's time consuming, it's painful on the body. Um, it's not a very pleasant task. You're down on your hands and knees in the dirt, you know, snapping those, those dusty chalk lines that get all over your hands. And um, so people try to do the minimum necessary to build. And because of that, errors get made during the process. You know, it's, it's up for interpretation. Sometimes you might miss the X, you might put the wrong number sheets of drywall, of, uh, of drywall on, the, on the wall. And so all of those errors compound itself and they result in, in real consequential uh, numbers when it comes to the bottom line of the project. And so what Dusty is doing is we see this opportunity to take, uh, to take layout and basically turn it on its head and say, we can do, because we have a printer and it's not, uh, it's not based on, on manual labor, it's actually automated, it's digitized, it's connected to the cloud, it's tied in to your BIM model we can take all of that information from your BIM model and bring it out onto the job site. Right now, no one is doing that. It's, it's impossible to do that uh, because just the technology hadn't been there until now. But once you have the ability to synchronize 
the BIM with the field, then it means that all of that information that is used during the design process, that's used for conflict resolution, information like part numbers, like wall types, like uh, ceiling heights, like room numbers, um, all of that information can be printed in the field. And the more information you have in the field, the easier it gets to build because people have the information they need and it's right under their boots. And so we're really excited about pushing that, pushing the industry in that direction to really change how construction is done. Because I think layout right now, you know, you can call what we're doing, I'm, I'm actually looking for a better term for it because it goes way beyond what, what, what people think of as layout today. It's actually taking the full BIM and bringing that into the field. And that goes way beyond what people typically think of as layout. I love that idea. And then are you looking at even just trends within the industry, even not even necessarily around robotics? What are some of the things that you've seen, um, especially with, with your more, you know, let's say, you know, technologically advanced customers, what are some of the other ways that they're leveraging BIM and, and kind of digitizing it and, and really taking advantage of that type of data, you know, on their job sites. One of the things I'm really excited about right now, I'm going to give a shout out to our friends at Hypar. Uh, they're doing some really interesting uh, stuff around generative design and, um, and, and essentially software defined buildings. I think I just made up that term. Um, but, <laughs> so, I mean, if you look at the, at the, at the industry today, there's been a tradition of, of, um, a lot of manual labor that goes into design of buildings. And as AI becomes more prevalent and as software becomes more powerful, we start seeing the ability to, uh, to, to insert technology into different steps, stages of the building cycle. And one of the things I'm personally most excited about is, uh, is use of AI to automatically generate uh, building designs, right? It's something that today an architect just does a lot of manual labor to, to come up with. And some of that, a very small amount of that work is very creative and that will stay and that will always be there. But a large amount of that work is just very rote. It's, you know, shifting your walls around so you have ADA compliance on your bathrooms. Um, well, you know, who wants to spend their time doing that when you could be spending your time designing new, you know, building ideas. So let's hand off the boring work to the software. And just like, just like a robot, you know, is doing the things that the people don't want to do. I'm really excited about the potential for software to actually uh, impact this industry as well. And do you do you view you know the kind of dusty as a sort of a two-way kind of data stream? So that there's some there's got to be some inferences that you're making. So you're you know you're doing you know this sort of next gen layout, and we we'll wait for the new the new terminology around that. But I I think you're right. But to 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 sort of look at it from, you know, whether you, you know, you put a machine learning AI layer behind it to start to look at, you know, we're seeing patterns here. And then these are the, the jobs that are more successful than others. I mean, is there going to be enough data at some point where you really are able to even help before they get to that layout stage? And are there, 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 you know, design firms that you can see yourself collaborating with from a very early stage? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, I think we, we interface with the digital on both ends, right? There's, there's the data that comes into Dusty and then there's the data that Dusty produces. So on, on, the, on the downstream side, one of the points that our clients find a huge amount of value in is the fact that we are producing a digital record of what was laid out. 
And that's not something that the industry has ever had before for drywall layout, right? Those guys who are snapping lines, they don't report back which lines they snap and where they snap them. That would be just way too intrusive and time consuming. But our robot does. And that's one of the benefits of, of using robotic automation on a job. And our clients are finding that having that digital record is fantastic for them because now suddenly they are, um, they are in, the, in the digital realm and they can go back and prove, look, I did this, right? Whereas they never had that certainty before. And so that allows them to, uh, to, to prove that they did the work and prove the quality of, and, the, and the quantity of the work that they did. So, so that's, that's on the downstream side. Uh, on the upstream side, data coming into Dusty, one of the, the coolest things that I've seen recently is that we are starting to print uh, curved walls. These are one of the hardest things to lay out. Uh, you have to scribe an arc if the radius is small enough that you can actually get a measuring tape the length of that arc. If that arc is large, like it's a 200 foot radius arc, then you have to do a lot of geometry in the field to calculate out how you're going to lay out that curve. And, and oftentimes those are, are intersecting curves that each have different radii of curvature. So doing that in the field, very, very time consuming, very hard, challenging for people to do, increases the cost of building because they're more challenging and harder to get right. I've heard projects where they just have to keep laying them out and building them and laying them out and building them until they get it right. And so you can imagine the cost involved in doing that for these complex buildings and clients want them because they're, they're sexy, they're modern, right? They're, this is the, the way the world is heading. And so I'm excited about empowering architects to start designing so once, once it becomes easy to build, to you know, lay out and build these kinds of swoopy, curvy designs, right? I'm excited about what that lets architects do because they can you know, unleash their creativity and create a lot more interesting designs for us. That's, I, that's, a, that's a great example because there, there are so many buildings. In fact, there's one in Los Angeles that I can think of that is a completely round building. And it's not even that it's like super curvy. It's just round, but it's it's still one of the most kind of stunning buildings that's since right in the middle of, of Sunset Plaza. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think that that's a really interesting way to look at it. Um, and I think it, you know, probably part of, part of your success is the fact that you're actually enabling, you know, architects to have much more creativity because they don't have to be thinking, we'll never be able to execute on that within this budget. Um, so we've had a guest actually, you know, talk about that piece of it where the budget is kind of defined in advance even of design and you're sort of designing to the budget as opposed to coming up with this masterful design and then getting what's usually sticker shock. How do you see that sort of falling with some of your customers? I mean, do you, do you feel like because they are, they know they're working with you that they're not as concerned or do you think they're coming up with their budgets first and they know they have a set, you know, amount that they're going to spend for a particular project and then that sort of defines how much or how little an architect can kind of design into it. So I'm absolutely certain that um, Dusty is gonna take over the industry and we're going to become the standard solution on every project. And the reason why is because we eliminate a lot of the rework costs uh, that plague buildings. And I'm sure you've heard horror stories about projects going over time and over budget. And, you know, they're not all due to layout mistakes, but layout mistakes are a real thing and they do happen. And, you know, they're one of those unexpected things that you can never plan for. And so we are all about decreasing the risk in a project by giving you design certainty. The, the thing that you design is the thing that you build. 
And, you know, we, we just, um, we just heard from a project executive on, on one of these large jobs that we're on that they installed the cabinets. Uh, so they're, we're up to floor 15 on this project and they just installed the, the they're building out the demo units on floor two, uh, you know, full, full fit outs interior and the cabinets just fit perfectly the first time they, they didn't have to redo anything. They didn't have to move any walls, everything just lined up. And that's, that certainty is what you get when you have robotic layout. And so what that means is that projects will come in under budget. They'll come in on time because you don't have to make, you don't make any of those mistakes that you normally do on a project. And so I'm expecting us to become the plan of record across the entire industry in a short order. And you love what you're doing. It's so clear when you talk about, you know, the, the, way in which you solve this particular problem. And I think that's, you know, I think a lot of, uh, you know, founders sometimes miss that, right? There, you, you found the problem and you solve it. And it, and it's, it's almost that simple. And, and you're, you're obviously having a really good time with it. (laughs) That's a lot of fun when your customers are excited about your product. It's like, it's like, um, it's like the best job in the world I I can think of right now, because we're building something that people want. And there's, there's nothing more exciting than that. I love that. So let's, let's again, sort of even progress further into the future. So, so, you know, you become the de facto kind of layout. Do you see um, other products for Dusty Robotics, or do you see just a much bigger expansion of what you do now? Again, maybe around those those you know upstream and downstream data layers. I th- I see both, um, to be honest. So I think in the medium term, I'm really excited about this idea of what we're calling enhanced layout, uh, which is you know going beyond what people are traditionally laying out today. We've gotten requests to lay out anything from a, a kitchen. Uh, to x-ray machines. And, and the kitchen, we, we ended up not doing this because of, uh, uh, for various reasons, but you know, imagine you're building out a commercial kitchen and you have three cooks that are chefs who are going to be working in that kitchen and they want to be able to walk the space and see, does it work for them, right? And the only way they can do that is by laying out that kitchen. Well, what if Dusty can come through and, and they could, we can draw, this is the sink, this is the refrigerator, this is the stove, we can draw the controls on the stove if you want, right? We can make you a full full kitchen model on the floor there and you can walk through that space and work th- with your, you know, with your colleagues and see does this work for you. And so that idea of being able to uh, print things that we would just never think to lay out today is just really exciting to me. I just can't wait to see where else we can take that because it's going to go way beyond what we're normally doing, what we would normally think of as layout today. And I'm going to ask you the question that I, that I ask everyone because you clearly think about the future a lot. Um, so, you know, project yourself 20, 25 years in the future, and you can have you know any gadget you want that makes your life better, makes you happy, and it doesn't have to be based in reality at all. Uh, what would it be, and what would it do? I, I thought about that a little bit the first time you asked me that, and. Um, uh, I don't know if you were, uh, if you, you're familiar with the, the get smart series. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Agent. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so I think nowadays with our, you know, open plan offices and, um, and especially being so much on construction sites, I think the invention that I want most is a cone of silence. Uh, I would love to be able to have conversations in private um, despite 
whatever ambient noise is out there, especially on construction sites. Um, so I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. I'm probably not going to be the person to invent it, but if that existed, I would buy one. See, and that, but that's, that's, that's kind of my, my hope with that question is to just start putting it out there. And then some entrepreneur is going to say, Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so that we're all, you know, 20 years from now, we're all going to have our wishes come true because we planted the seed today. That's the goal. And, you know, you planted the seed of this company two years ago and look where you are. So uh, congratulations on all your success. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And uh, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for hosting.